Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. The Word of God says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God, please open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Protect me, God, from error or misleading statements. Enable these dear people to listen and to hear your voice speaking to them and enable them to respond in faith to what you say to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, just two things here this morning. First of all, a direction that's given to the elders of the church, and then secondly, a direction that's given to the people or the congregation of the church. So, um, direction to the elders. What does Peter say here about leadership in the church and about the way elders in particular ought to lead? And there's three things here, three kind of principles of church government, church leadership in the New Testament. The first is this, that leadership is shared. So let's look here at verse 1. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, he says, a fellow elder. Now, that phrase really is pretty remarkable because let's remember who Peter is. Do you remember Matthew Chapter 16, when Jesus comes to Peter, he asks Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to that and says, Peter, that's right, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. I mean, what a grand statement that is. Upon this rock I'm going to build my church. Now, there's a lot of question about what Jesus meant by that. What did he mean by this rock? And there are some traditions, the Catholic tradition in particular, that would say that what Jesus meant is that he was going to build his church on Peter, the man Peter, that he was saying that Peter was the rock, and Peter was this one elder cornerstone, rock of the church, upon which Jesus was going to build his church. But notice here, isn't it interesting, in this verse, that what Peter is saying is, I'm exhorting the elders among you. Do you see that plural, that S at the end of the word elder? The elders among you as a fellow elder. What Peter is saying here is that I'm not the only elder in the church. I'm one elder among other elders. In other words, what Peter is saying here is I'm I'm not the pope. This is a shared leadership, that there is more than one elder involved in leading a church. That's the model that the New Testament gives us. For instance, 
The model for church government in the New Testament is not a monarchy. You know what a monarchy is, where you have a king, there's someone sitting on a throne with a scepter and his crown, or a queen, and she or he rules, and what he or she says goes. And there are some churches that kind of work that way, one person in charge. That's not the way things work around here, I can assure you that. (laughs) I, I am not the king of this church. I'm not the pope. But the New Testament model for the church also is not the other extreme. It's not a pure democracy either. It's not a situation where everybody in the congregation has an equal say as to everything that happens in the church, all the policy that's put, that's put in place and all the directions in which the church takes. Anytime a decision is made here at the church, we don't get the congregation together and have the congregation vote on everything that we do. We, we don't do that because we don't believe that that's the church government that is instructed to us in the New Testament. It's not a monarchy, but it's not a pure democracy. It's something like a system where there are elected representatives. That's what elders are. Peter is exhorting, speaking to the leaders of the church. It's a group of men who are charged with the task of leading the church. Now, the Bible isn't clear and specific about how all this should take place. I think we look at other places in the Bible that would say these elders should be elected by the congregation. So the congregation does have a say. The congregation chooses its leaders. The congregation elects its leaders. No one can lead this church unless you, the congregation, wants them to lead this church. And that's what the annual meeting was all about. But you guys and girls have elected some people, and so they are going to now assume the position of leadership because you have placed them there through your vote on Monday night. But the point here is that the leadership is shared. It's shared. And it's an equal authority among those who are elders. Uh, Not only do we lead as a group, but we lead as a group of men with equal authority. I'm not in a position of rank above the other elders. They have just as much authority as as I do. We have six guys right now. I'll explain more about how all that's going to work. But we have equal authority. And that's based a lot on this passage. Peter, the rock, is saying, I'm just a fellow elder, along with others with whom we're sharing leadership. Leadership is shared. Some other passages here that kind of um, support this idea of, of, uh, of more than one elder always leading a church, Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints of Christ Jesus who are Philippi, with the overseers, that's just another word for elders, Okay, if you want me to explain that, I will later, but I'm not going to do that now. Overseers means elders, but it's in the plural there, and deacons. That's how a typical New Testament congregation should be set up, elders and deacons. And we do have a deacon we're ordaining also, installing here this morning. And uh, I don't want him to feel left out, but this passage is addressed mostly to elders. That's mostly what I'm talking about here, but we do have a deacon who's going to be uh, installed. <clears throat> but notice the, the plurality there, overseers and deacons. Uh, Acts 14.23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, it says, uh, Titus 1, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. There's just a repeated teaching in the New Testament. It's never one person, it's always a group. So, 
you know, if you go to a church and you're looking around and nobody's in charge, you know, that's, I think, something that you need to pay attention to. But if you go to a church and there's just one person in charge, I think that's also something that you need to be concerned about and be asking some questions about. In the New Testament, there's a group in charge. All right. Uh, The next point that Peter gives us tells us that leaders are shepherds. So we've been hearing about that through Pastor Brian this morning, a little already. This is interesting, I think, just that the picture that the New Testament gives to us of a leader is, is not a CEO. You know, it's not someone with a with really good business mindset, you know, although that can be a good thing for a session, but that's not the picture that we're given. It's not a, it's not a, a term from the marketplace. Um, we don't get a picture of a general in an army, this kind of, you know, powerful, charismatic, strong person who leads people into battle. That's, that's not the metaphor, the image we're given. We're not given the image of a coach, someone who can stand and motivate people, uh, you know, a, a loud person with a whistle around his neck getting everybody to play together. I mean, it's not from the sporting world. That's not the image that we get for what a shepherd, an elder is like. The picture we get is that of a shepherd, a shepherd. And we heard from Ezekiel a little bit about what a shepherd is like. What does a shepherd do? I mean, for one thing, shepherds are kind of really, in the Bible, in, in many cases, they're just kind of nobodies. I mean, they're not widely known people. It's kind of a position that's looked down upon, quite frankly. But what do shepherds do? They go after the sheep when they're scattered. Shepherds protect the sheep from the attack of wolves. Shepherds direct and guide the sheep. In some cases, the shepherds might have to come and gather lambs up in their arms and carry them to safety. That's what shepherds do. They care for the flock. They care for their sheep. And that's what Peter is saying here in verse 2. Shepherd, he says to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd them. How does that translate to what an elder does? Well, an elder is supposed to be a a man who is compassionate toward the flock, a, a man who comes alongside the sheep, who prays for them, who encourages them, who is there for them when they're sick and when they're grieving, who gives direction to them. Um, In some cases, who admonishes them and brings them back into the fold, one who goes after people when they start to go astray doctrinally or away from the faith. Shepherds go after those people. That's what they do. But there's something else that shepherds do. They feed their sheep. Shepherds feed their sheep. That's what it said in Ezekiel. That's what it says in many places in the Bible. And we get a very important picture of that in John chapter 21, where Jesus is speaking to Peter. Do you remember that very famous uh, story? Jesus comes to Peter, the same Peter who wrote this, and Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Then he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. He says, tend my sheep. Then he asks a third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I've told you. Yes, I love you. And then what Jesus says is, then feed my sheep. 
He repeats this three times. Feed my sheep. Tend, feed, tend, feed. Make sure that my sheep are well nourished and fed. Now, I don't think he's talking about making sure we're physically fed. What Jesus is saying is that you shepherds need to make sure that the people of God have a steady diet of the Word of God, of Scripture, of the teaching of the Gospel, that adults and children and youth and married people and single people and young people and old people are constantly always in this place making sure that they are receiving the truth of God's Word as much as is absolutely possible. And that's a high priority for any shepherd, elder of God's people. Just like it seems like it's kind of coming down the line. Jesus in John 21 uh, kind of commissions Peter. And now Peter in 1 Peter 5 is commissioning other elders. And now it's trickling all the way down to the local church today in 2014 where we are now going to commission elders before you to do what Jesus told Peter to do 2,000 years ago. Feed the flock. Take care of them. And make sure they have a good diet of the Word of God. Leaders are shepherds. Last thing in this. Hmm, it's interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. All the way back to the beginning. So, have to get Adam up here to do announcements again. You ready to start again? Can you advance that, please, Dan? I'll just continue. It's that leaders are servants. Thank you. Leadership is shared. Leaders are shepherds. And then lastly, leaders are servants. Oh, we see this in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And then Peter says, exercising oversight. Shepherds, elders are given oversight over the congregation. And then Peter goes on to give some kind of um, disclaimers or some clarifications here. Exercise oversight. But three things he notes here. First of all, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Now, what does he mean by that? <clears throat> Why would an elder feel under compulsion to be an elder? Now, keep in mind the context here. There was a lot of persecution and hostility against the Christians that Peter was writing to. And so what some commentators think, and I'm sympathetic with this, is that maybe some elders were thinking, you know, I'm kind of feeling like I ought to be an elder, but actually I don't really want to be an elder because I'm afraid of what's going to happen if I'm an elder. If I take over leadership here, I'm afraid that I'm going to be the recipient of hostility and persecution and abuse, and I don't want that. And that's, but some elders must have felt kind of this compulsion to do it anyway. And what Peter is saying is, don't do this under compulsion. Do it willingly. Don't become an elder because you think you have to. Or because you think, well, nobody else is going to do it, so I guess I have to. No, what Peter is saying is, if you're going to become an elder, do it willingly. Do it, do it because you want to serve. You want to serve others. You have an internal desire and drive for this that is compelling you to move forward. I think there's a warning here against passivity, that, that elders shouldn't be passive. They shouldn't step into this thinking, I don't really want to do this, and then kind of fade into the background. If you're going to be an elder, do it willingly. And so I think the elders know that I'm kind of speaking to them today. 
uh, speaking to the congregation also, but this is serving as kind of a charge to, to all of us who are elders in the church. <clears throat> but something else that Peter goes on to say here in verse 2 is that they should do it not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So if you're going to be an elder, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Don't become an elder to get rich. Now you might think, well, why would anybody do that? I mean, pastors generally aren't known for being rich, although in some periods of time in some nations that, that has happened. It seems like perhaps in Peter's time, even um, volunteer elders were paid to some degree for their work. Now, Pastor Brian and I are paid as elders in the church, but the other elders are not. But the warning here is that don't get into the eldership for some kind of personal gain. And I think this can be beyond just monetary gain. What Peter might have in mind, too, is just the desire to be an elder to make a name for yourself, to gain a reputation, to look godly among other people. And some of you might know that there's kind of a celebrity preacher circuit going on today where there are certain preachers that are kind of like rock stars. I mean, people flock to go hear them speak. They buy their books. I mean, they, at least in the Christian world, are, are famous. And so I can see how there might be a temptation for a person to enter the ministry, to become an elder, out of some desire to gain some fame for himself. And what Peter is saying is, no, this is about service. This is about giving, not getting. And then in verse 3... Peter goes on to offer one other thing. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering. In other words, not doing this in a grab for power. So the first one there about not exercising oversight under compulsion but willingly is a charge against passivity. This not for shameful gain, but eagerly is a charge against, I think, pride. And here in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, that, that's a warning against power. Assuming a position of leadership and then abusing that by being harsh and arrogant and overly restrictive and bossy and legalistic and just using your position to domineer people. What Peter is saying is, that is not what this is about. It's about service. And he goes on as a contrast. He says, you know, the way you lead is not by forcing people and bossing people around. It's by your example, is what he says. That, that's the most powerful way to influence, by the way you live. Your humility, your devotion to Christ, your faithfulness, your love for Jesus, your submission to his word. Let it be that those in this church could look at the elders of our church and say, I want to be like them. That, that, that's what we're aiming for. We're not perfect men, but we want to set an example where the rest of you can look at us and say, there's an example that I want to follow. That's what Peter is calling the elders to set for the flock. Examples to the flock in verse 3. Leaders are to be servants. Elders are to be servants. Bottom line is this. Ministry is about people. First and foremost, it's about people. First and foremost, it's about the glory of God, yes. But it's about people. And as a way of just kind of capturing this, 
Some of you know I read that biography of Harry Truman, and I, I like to talk about that. I'm very proud of finishing that book. It was a thousand pages long and got it done last year. And there was a story at the end of that book about Harry Truman. It was a story of a, a pastor, actually, it began. And the pastor was about ready to conduct a funeral for someone who passed away. And the pastor was at the cemetery, and there was a grave digger there, and it was just those two. And it was cold. It was February, probably a day similar to today. It was kind of snowy, just kind of miserable. And um, nobody else is there. And it's getting close to the time of the start of the funeral, and the pastor just thinks, I might as well just wait until the time starts in case anybody comes. And, And he just waits, just these two guys. And then all of a sudden, a car drives up, and it stops, and a door opens, and a Secret Service agent gets out, and following him is Harry Truman, President of the United States. And he comes, and he stands there, and the service is conducted, and the pastor says to him afterward, he says, I can't believe you're out here. I mean, this was actually after Harry Truman had been President, so he was elderly at the time, and uh, didn't have any business being out in the cold weather in February. And so the pastor said, what are you doing here? You know, this is cold and you're out here with us. And Harry Truman just looked at him and said, Pastor, I never forget a friend. Never forget a friend. That's just a way of saying that, you know, to some degree, Harry Truman was about people, about loving and caring for people. And that's what an elder is called to do. And that's what Peter is giving us instruction about. Leadership is shared Leaders are shepherds, leaders are servants. And then Peter ends with this promise in verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders, if you get discouraged, and that will happen in your service, go back to that verse, verse 4, and remember that there is a promise for you, elders this unfading crown of glory that the chief shepherd will award those who have served him faithfully in his church. And this is interesting, too, because notice that the elders, in the end, do you know to whom they are responsible? You know, you know who it is to whom they have to give an account for their work? Elders ultimately are not accountable to the congregation. They're accountable to the chief shepherd. They're accountable to Jesus we one day will give an account to him for how we have shepherded and led this congregation. And that's what verse 4 is telling us. Direction to elders. All right. Secondly, there's also directions to the church. Directions given to the church. And there's two things here. One, be subject. See that in verse 5? Likewise, you who are younger... Be subject to the elders. Now, this is another kind of odd verse as he just addresses it to the younger. And some people think that all this is is saying that younger people should be subject to older people. And that's what Peter means by elders, older people. But the beginning of verse 5 says, likewise. So I don't think that's the right interpretation. Likewise suggests what Peter's saying is that what I've been talking about is what I'm continuing to talk about. I'm still talking about elders in the church, leadership in the church. And he gives this charge to the younger people. And he says, younger people be subject to the elders. Now, why does he single out younger people? We don't really know. But 
you know, no offense to the younger people among us, but younger people tend to be a little more generally independently minded, a little more resistant to authority, a little more rebellious. I mean, is that a fair assessment? I think it is. Younger people tend to be that way, and I think Peter is just saying, younger people, you need to be subject. You need to adopt an attitude of submission toward the elders leading the church. So does that mean that the only people who have to be subject to elders are younger people? And the answer to that is no, because there are other places in the Bible where it says stuff like this, obey your leaders. This is to all Christians. Submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You see, there it is. Leaders have to give an account to God. Hebrews 13, 17. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, similarly. We ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So that's the charge, not just to young people, but to the entire church, to adopt an attitude of being subject to the elders. Now there's some danger here, isn't there? And so, you know, again, Peter has told us a number of things to kind of put a curb on that, because this is probably making some people a little nervous. Wait a minute, you know, I'm not submitting myself to anybody. You know, I, I've seen authority abused. I, I've seen the way people manipulate, and I'm not subjecting myself to that. I mean, that's an understandable concern if you've had some bad experiences in that area. And so th there, there are dangers. I mean, there are, there's two dangers here, really. One is the abuse of authority. We see this in, in cultic groups, you know, where there's one leader. It's not a shared leadership. You know, generally in cults, there's one leader, and he demands unquestioning, unquestioned um, allegiance and devotion in all things. He can't handle any kind of question or resistance. He likes to control people, humiliate them publicly, seeks to isolate them from their families, requires the community to shun them if they leave. Those are abuses of authority. If you're in a community a worshiping community of some sort where there's a leader like that, you ought to leave that place because you are under abuse of authority. And there's a number of other examples of how that plays itself out. So that's one of the dangers, abuse of authority. But the other danger is this, and that is just neg neglecting authority, acting as if authority has no place in the church. You know, sometimes people will refer to the priesthood of all believers. You know, aren't we all Christians? Aren't we don't we all have equal access before God? Aren't we all equally saved before God? And that's absolutely true. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection saves us equally. There aren't, you know, there's not upper class and lower class Christians. It doesn't work that way. If you're a believer in Christ, you have access to the throne room of heaven just as quickly and easily as I do as a pastor. It's a wonderful doctrine. The priesthood of all believers. There's not a hierarchy of um, ranks of favor before God for Christians. But that doesn't mean there isn't a structure. It doesn't mean that there isn't an organization for how the church should function. And that's what the New Testament is giving us with the establishment of these offices like elders and deacons. That's the way it is in the family, right? I mean, if mom and dad are Christians and Billy and Susie are Christians, Billy and Susie don't go, hey, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit, so I don't have to do what you say, mom and dad. I don't have to subject to your authority. I'm just as saved as you are. I'm just as forgiven as you are. 
You know, that's ridiculous. Yeah, they are both equally saved, assuming they're all Christians. But mom and dad are still in charge. There's still a structure. And so abusing authority is a danger. Neglecting authority is a danger, too. Here's uh, what, um, oh, where's my quote here? There it is. Timothy Laniac says this, authority without compassion leads to harsh authoritarianism, but compassion without authority leads to social chaos. <laughs> so we're seeking to avoid both. Um, the second thing here, direction to the church, is to be humble. Be humble. And here's how this finishes here in verse 5, where Peter says, in the middle of the verse there, clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility toward one another. All of us should adopt a posture of humility. Elders, deacons, toward the people, and the people toward the elders and deacons. Characterizing, prevailing in all of those relationships should be an attitude of humility. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. And I just got to think that Peter is probably writing this from personal experience. And if you go back to verse 1, isn't it interesting? Did you notice that? I kind of brushed over it, but in verse 1 he says, a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter says, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Why would he say that? As opposed to, I was a witness of the transfiguration. He witnessed Jesus and Elijah and Moses. He could have said, I'm a witness that. He was a witness of the resurrected Christ. He could have said that too. I witnessed Jesus raised from the dead speaking to me. But he doesn't say that. He says, I was a witness to Jesus' sufferings. Why would he say that? I mean, it could be because he's just grateful. He knows that Jesus' sufferings, his his blood shed on the cross is what pays for his forgiveness. But I wonder if it might be because Peter knows how much he contributed to Jesus' sufferings. That he added to them. Peter was the one who said in pride, Jesus, I will never fail you. Not me. Others, maybe, but not me. And within a few hours, he was denying Jesus before a 10-year-old girl. Denying his Lord in his time of greatest need. That's enough to humble somebody, isn't it? Jesus, or Peter, must have been humbled as he looked back. Not just humbled at what he contributed to the sufferings of Jesus, but humbled even more that that Jesus would come and freely and gladly forgive him for all of those offenses, and then, in addition to that, restore him to leadership in the church. <laughs> wow. How humbling. And, and this is just one of the basic elements of church leadership, and that is that leaders in the church are sinners saved by grace. And together, all of us should be humbled as we reflect on the ways that we have contributed to Jesus' suffering and the immense grace that he has given to us in the gospel to forgive us and for some of us to put us in positions of leadership. A guy named uh, Dan Allender says this, the biblical model of leadership is actually, it's odd. 
It's inverted. It's deeply troubling because it's so unlike the way the world does it. It's so troubling that most churches, seminaries, actually even other religious organizations, religious organizations would never hire a chief sinner. The only one who thinks to do that is God. <laughs> That's ultimately, as elders, what we are. We're chief sinners, saved by grace, seeking to declare that message to all chief sinners that they might find pardon and forgiveness in Christ alone.